You know, Mr. Main Cultist guy, when you told us that we were going to be sacrifices for all of this nonsense you got going on, I thought you meant you were going to kill us and use our blood in some ritual. I didn't know you meant we were going to be babysitters. This is bullshit. Well, it's a tough job, but some poor soul has to do it. I hope you two enjoy the work. This is your eternity. Throw the fucking ball. I can't. I lost it. I am the master of lies. You don't think I know when you're doing it? Pull that shit again, and I will rip your ass from your face. Uh, go long. Alright, while he's gone, we need to figure out how to get out of here. Yeah, if I have to play tic-tac-toe with little Damien one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. What are we going to do, man? Well, we have a kid who is the Antichrist. Yes. And he is set to take over the world. Mm-hmm. And we are set to watch over him as if we're some nanny sent by a demonic agency. Yeah, the omen. Maybe there's something in there that we can use to get out of here. We should freaking do that. Okay, okay. Let's let's go over the omen. To Radio Fear Macabre, and we are three weeks into Fear in the Faith, our event where we talk about horror. <laughs> Just horror. <laughs> um, where we talk about horror media all relating to the world's oldest boogeyman, the devil. I'm Brandon, your host, and with me is, as, uh, as always, I never can just say that. As, I can't say as always. As always. Always. As always, is my co-host, Justin. How's it going, everybody? How are you? Been doing pretty good. Yeah? Devilishly good? Satanically good. Satanically good. Oh, shit. All right, today we are going to be talking about The Omen. It's all for you! Yes, we're talking about The Omen. First time ever watching this movie. Uh, first, well, I say first time watching this movie. I've seen the remake. Ugh. I saw this for the first time, and... I enjoyed the hell out of it. Better than the remake, ain't it? Yes. Yes. What I like about it, <laughs> better than the remake. I like, the, uh, I like Damien in this movie more than the remake one. Yeah, he doesn't... They tried way too hard in the remake <laughs> to, to make, make Damien look evil. Like, the <laughs> the one in the remake, you look at him and you're like, that's the fucking Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, they tried way too damn hard. Oh, that's, that's either the Antichrist or that's Marilyn Manson's kid. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, Probably both. The answer is yes. <laughs> but enjoyed it. Love the storyline behind it. We'll get into more of that later, but it deals with just a normal family. Normal. Normal. Just normal. an everyday family. Just a, just an everyday high political powered, super rich family. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I liked about this movie the most was the story of a father who's kept a secret from his wife this whole time uh-huh. but still 
takes care of this boy and cares for him a lot and having to go through the pain, having to kill this kid. You know, everyday, I mean, everyday stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll get to more about that later. It's a rough story. Yeah. I mean... And for all you parents out there, who doesn't sometimes just want to stab your kids with seven knives in a church? <laughs> but acting in this movie. Oh, it's Gregory Peck. I mean, Gregory Peck. Gregory I mean, Peck. The kid, Harvey Stevens, who plays and, uh, as Damien. And David Warner. Gregory Peck and David Warner. We're going to get more into it here in a second. But uh, those two carried most of this film. Like, uh, not saying that everybody else was bad, because everybody, I think everybody in this movie was on their A game, and it yeah, was amazing. Lee, Lee Remick, she did really well. Absolutely. Gregory Peck, David Warner, those two just were a power team in this film, and they brought this sophistication to this movie. Whereas I think if anybody else was in this role, if they had put anyone else in this role, it, it would kind of seem hokey. Somebody could have played that role well, other than Gregory Peck, but I think because it was Gregory Peck and... David Warner. It brought this seriousness to it. You have a script about the Antichrist being this guy's kid. It would feel a bit goofy. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But anyway, before we get into this movie, here is your horror headlines. Here's your horror headlines on Radio Apparently, Dylan Sawa, he's going to be in season two of the Chucky t series. Can't keep the man away. I could say I'm surprised, but I shouldn't be. I think he's going to end up being one of those that's going to show up at every season in some form or fashion. We call that a recurring character, but he won't be the same character. No, apparently from what is going on rumor-wise, he's going to be either cousin or possibly the forgotten brother. That's cool to see, though. He's yep. probably going to die again. <laughs> <laughs> More than likely. I hope it's like the first episode of season two as well. He's just chilling in his house and all of a sudden a Chucky delivery comes to his house. He's like in a different state or something. Can't wait to see Chucky season two. I mean, probably be out around October of this year. In other news, apparently the original Friday the 13th movie is getting a 4K ultra high def upgrade. That's pretty fucking sick. I, I mean, kind of. You know my stance on this? Yeah. Old movies, like that old, being put in 4K, ultra high definition Blu-ray. Uh, I don't need to see that movie that well. It wasn't made for that. But, I mean, some people want to. It's just not my thing. I mean, I'm probably going to get it. I know you're probably going to get it. Everybody here listening knows how much of a Friday the 13th stand I am. Comes out September 13th, 2022. Hopefully this is a sign, maybe, from Paramount. Gauge interest to see if we can get something new for Friday the 13th, possibly. I don't know. I mean, it could be that, or it could be some of the court cases settled, so they're quickly putting out something Friday the 13th to make some money. Oh, I just find it interesting that they're do it, bringing this for the original Friday the 13th, and that's where most of the lawsuit yeah. issues are coming from. So This might have been something they were planning to do earlier, but the lawsuit got in the way, too. 
Possibly. I mean, I wouldn't mind having the complete Friday the 13th collection in ultra high def. I guess. I don't know. I, I'd be happy watching them on VHS. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, I'd love to get it. Just got to get an ultra high def yeah. Blu-ray player. I think those uh, DVD collections that we have... Uh, they're good enough. Yeah, they they definitely do the job. I think, like, DVD was, like, the good cutoff for, like... Old movies. That's the good definition cutoff right there. I don't. I don't need to see like every follicle on on Jason. Yeah. <laughs> and, and another another thing with those that is like, uh, cause they have, like they've had for a while like Halloween and 4K, right? The original Halloween. I used to have it. And I had it in Blu-ray. Well, they have it in 4K. Oh, 4K now. Yeah, and they came in these really nice cases with really nice like hand-drawn art too. It was pretty cool, but. I might need to get that too. <laughs> I was thinking about getting it, but like those movies weren't meant to be seen in that definition, and it kind of takes away from it a little bit. I think. Did you see the 4K? Did I saw see? screenshots of it, and you see like too much of that movie. I get you. You start to see like the strings. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, <laughs> makes it obvious for watching a movie. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. It just kind of cheapens it, and to some movies, not every movie. But, I understand. Yeah. yeah, but movies like because uh, last horror headlines we talked about uh, for uh, Event Horizon getting four K. That was done with a pretty big budget in the nineties. That I could see that being pretty good in four K. You know, it'd be like seeing like Titanic in four K. Like yeah, a kind of movie where definition is good. Yeah. Whereas in these older horror movies. Maybe they use the limitations of definition and in camera work to hide some of the stuff, like the zipper on the back or the string on the ship, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's just me. I know my opinion is not definitely not going to be the most agreed with on that. Following that, unfortunately, we got some sad news here on Horror Headlines. Yeah, again. Um, apparently, Tremor Star, everybody knows him, Fred Ward. Yeah. He uh, passed away recently at the age of 79, died on May 8th, uh, cause of death, not really known, but that's really not the point. He was in a lot of different movies, I'm sure you oh, know. Yeah. Now, I know him from Tremors, but I know I've seen him in a lot of other movies too. I hope his family and his close friends are doing well. Yeah. Rest in peace, man. Rest in peace. In other news, Tim Burton's creating a new Netflix series based on the Addams Family. It's called Wednesday. The YouTube Wednesday series was better. Too bad she got shut down. Not entirely sure when it's coming out. Christina Ritchie's going to be in the new Netflix series. I would hope so. She's not going to be playing Wednesday Addams. But and suddenly it's pointless. <laughs> I know... Uh, don't know exactly what role she's going to be playing. I don't know if it's going to be like... A, I guess if she's not doing it, then we're not getting an adult Wednesday. Like everybody wants. I mean, not much is known, but she's going to be in the series. I don't know if it's going to be a different role, but they said she's not going to be playing Wednesday. So it's probably like another kid Wednesday. At that point, just make Adam's family. <laughs> but uh, this will be the first time Richie has uh, worked with Tim Burton since re another really good movie that I like, uh, Sleepy Hollow. Oh, Frank and Weenie. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sleepy Hollow. Ghostbusters Afterlife is getting a sequel. It was confirmed by Sony at CinemaCon. Nothing's known about it other than we are getting some returning characters from uh, Afterlife. I'm pretty sure Ernie Hudson's definitely involved with this one. I hope we get to see some of the, the kids from 
afterlife comeback actually being like full-fledged ghostbusters this time that'd be pretty cool maybe they're going back to new york i did love the the rural small town story for ghostbusters because we ain't seen that before but that was jason reitman's plan because uh, everybody asked him was like why aren't you doing this like in new york is that because my dad made two of those movies already I'm, I'm making my ghostbusters movie so it's a more intimate story in a small town and you get to see the see a Ghostbusters story set in that kind of location instead. So that was pretty cool. Is the original Ghostbusters actor going to be in this one too? Like I said, it's not confirmed. I'm guessing Ernie Hudson is going to be involved at least because they're kind of building him up to be like the head owner of the Ghostbusters, especially because we got the trailer for that Ghostbusters Spirit Unleash game coming out. Looks really good. It does look good. And, like, you play as new recruits and Ernie Hudson's, like, hiring you and giving you the talk about what it means to be a Ghostbuster, don't cross the streams and all that. Ernie Hudson, he's becoming, like, uh, the Bruce Wayne of, <laughs> of, like, the Ghostbusters world. And that's it for Horror Headlines. Now on to our main topic, The Omen. Kid, Antichrist. Have we? The first movie, Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> Kid oh, <laughs> being yeah. born. Yeah. Antichrist. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're this this whole uh this whole thing, it's the it's the trifecta, right? It's the unholy trinity of devil movies. Rosemary's baby, the exorcist, the omen. That's why these three movies in particular are in our Fear and the Faith series. When you say what's the best collective of devil movies, people will point to these three right here that's the first one on everybody's mind not the movie where the devil's pissing in that guy's face oh rawhead rex <laughs> uh, that's um oh that, that's that's some that's some shit right there. that is some shit that is a junkyard jamboree episode that we were going to do but didn't have time for <laughs> for fear in the faith yeah but uh i was gonna say well he's more of like a pagan god that was like then seen as a demon but pazuzu's the same way so <laughs> But these, these three movies that we've done, we're finally finishing the, the trifecta with The Omen. Now, these are the big demonic three. And I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to talk about these movies here. But getting into The Omen, great fucking movie. It's, a, it's an absolute wonderful movie. Directed by Richard Donner. It was written by David Seltzer. Produced by Harvey Bernard and Robert Munger. With the executive producer being Mace Neufeld. And the amazing score, absolutely fantastic score that won an Oscar, Jerry Goldsmith. Damn good music. <laughs> very, very good music. And cinematography and baboon poking done by Gilbert Taylor. Uh, film editing was Stuart Baird. But yeah, this film that we're talking about here today uh, cost $2.8 million to make and had a return of $48 million. Damn good job. Very successful. People were gnawing at the bit after The Exorcist for something else like that to come out. Because The Exorcist, as we all know, it made tidal waves, right? And this rode right on the waves of that. Metric fuck ton of money. Oh yeah. People flocked to the theaters to see this movie. Also with like um, movie... Hollywood royalty like Gregory Peck being involved. They were like, oh, hell yeah. And this was going to be like his last movie, I believe. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so 
people definitely want to see this. Like how a lot of people wanted want to see Sonic 2 that's out now because it's Jim Carrey's last movie. Probably, before, not, probably not gonna be his last movie. It, it, I don't know. He, he says he's retiring after Sonic 2, so. How does a film like this come out other than obviously, you know, The Exorcist? How do you go about coming up with a film like this? Well, the idea for this film actually came from an instance where Robert Munger simply asked a rhetorical question to Harvey Bernard what if the Antichrist was alive right now and we just don't know it yet because he's still a kid? Apparently, when he said that, Harvey Bernard immediately like picked up like a pen and paper and said, I'll, I'll be right back, and went and started writing this movie. <laughs> <laughs> After they finished writing, they named the movie originally The Antichrist, which then got changed to The Birthmark and then finally settled on what we know it as today. The Omen. When writing this movie, David Seltzer set the story in England because he would set movies that he's going to work on in locations he wants to visit. <laughs> so he could get like a free trip to that place. So he set it in England because <laughs> he wanted to go to England. Originally, the studio that was going to do this movie was Warner Brothers, but it actually got dropped by them and it was picked up by Fox. So this movie almost died right out of the gate but fox picked it up and ran with it but when they got a hold of it originally the script had elements in it that richard would remove later like witchcraft and architecture like gargoyles and he wanted to make it more realistic modern and believable and he was afraid with the witchcraft i think he's quoted saying i don't want to make another rosemary's baby but to make it more grounded the kills in the movies were left to seem as just terrible coincidences and happenstance um which would eventually i think be the inspiration for final destination that's what i was gonna say parts of the movie reminds me of final destination there's a lot of moments in this movies where you could tell final destination pulled a lot of inspiration yeah and that's kind of where the name the omen comes from because as the photographer is making pictures he's taking pictures of things he sees what he believes how they die which is an omen which feels very Final Destination. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Final Destination 3 specifically. Yeah. Because that's how she sees all her premonitions. So we got this movie. We got this setup. We know we're making another devil movie. Now, this is the only movie that wasn't based off of a novel ahead of time. They had a novelization of the movie. They come out like three months before the movie's release to build hype for it. But they don't have exact ideas for who's going to play who and all that. And... Uh, Getting somebody to play Damien, our little devil child, they had a lot of auditions, but Harvey Stevens came in and he got the role of Damien because of his ferocity when asked by Richard Donner. Richard Donner asked this kid to attack him when he says action and don't stop until he says cut. And so he said action and this kid went right for the nuts and he started kicking and biting and pulling hair and screaming. Beat the hell out of you. Yeah. He still was doing it after he said cut. Yeah, he said cut and this kid was still going at it. So Richard Donner, the only issue that he had with Harvey was that he was blonde and he wanted a brunette character for this kid. So as soon as he got, the, he got done getting the shit kicked out of him by this little kid, he said, dye his hair black and that's Damien. <laughs> we got our kid. Little shit. <laughs> that's the only instance of anybody getting beat up on the set so that's good this isn't another exorcist situation this movie's kind of popular for one scene in particular of people freaking out while baboons are covering the car <laughs> and uh, in the baboon scene 
uh, to get that reaction out of the baboons, there's a lot of misinformation going around that they starved the baboons and then put food on the car to get them to do it. But that's only half true. They made the baboons skip breakfast. So around lunchtime, they put food on the car and the baboons would run up to the car, but then they would start eating and just sit on the car and eat some bananas and shit and not freak out. So that wasn't really good for the for what they were going for. But the alpha of the of the pack of baboons, he had a cut on him at some point, and the baboon handler said, "Hey, I'm gonna have to put this guy under while we get this cut fixed and cleaned and all that." I think if you guys put this baboon in the car, this drugged baboon, the their alpha in the back of the car, uh, these guys are very pack oriented. They see that their alpha is being taken away in this car, they're gonna freak the fuck out. And so they did that. And that's why you see these baboons freaking out. Apparently they tried it with two baby baboons at first. They put two baby baboons in the back of the car. And the shit. baboons didn't give a shit. They were just like, oh well, they're off to their new life or they're getting eaten. Fuck it. But uh, it's perfect to put these baboons in this movie because I think baboons are the real antichrists. <laughs> baboons are fucking evil. <laughs> and what made that scene so good was that the reaction that the mom and and Damien in that car was genuine because they were actually genuinely terrified. The, terrified of what was going on. But apparently the alpha baboon started to come too in the car ride. Ooh. Not like fully awake, but uh, apparently he reached up and started pulling Lee Remick's hair. And so a lot of her freaking out was because of that too. <laughs> <laughs> but they got it on camera. <laughs> So, yeah, that was genuine fear in the car. Yeah. And wasn't the director in with the baboon in the back seat? Uh, the director was in the passenger seat while Lee Remick was driving. Uh, and I think the handler was in the back seat. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So they had to be smart with the camera shots while getting attacked by baboons on the outside and, where it counts, on the inside. <laughs> but apparently... The footage that they did get wasn't all that great. And the editor, Stuart Baird, he was like, um, oh, you don't have a complete scene here. There's no transitions or anything like that. And uh, Richard was like, I'm not filming those fucking baboons again. You can. So he had to go out there, right, with Gilbert Taylor. And they just went out walking into the baboon cage to the baboon area of the zoo with the handler and all that in there. And the handler had a gun, a shotgun with him. They had sticks and they were poking at baboons to get reactions of them to get like for the scene. And uh, suddenly the baboon handler, they hear him yell, uh, don't move. And they look around and they were surrounded by the baboons. Yeah, they were about to get. That could have been bad. But that scene that you brought up earlier with the fall, it does seem dangerous. But nobody got hurt in this movie. Not even the goldfish. Nope. Because when they dropped the goldfish bowl down the balcony, they actually took the goldfish out and painted sardines orange and put them in the goldfish bowl. <laughs> yep. And when I say sardines, I mean like store-bought sardines. Yeah, they were already, yeah. They were dead already. So they bought some sto store-bought 
sardines, painted them orange, put them in the bowl, and dropped it. And you could totally tell if you're looking for it that it's not a goldfish, that it's sardines. The way they made that work was through some camera trick. They uh, made a wall look like the floor and then pushed Lee Rimmick on a like a wheeled platform. They pushed her over to the wall and making it look like she was falling to the floor. No Lee Rimmicks or goldfish were hurt in the making of this scene. Which is actually props for that because m- horror movies or movies back then, that was a rarity. Yeah, animals usually got hurt. I'm still convinced that they killed a dog for Halloween, but... (laughs) (laughs) I still feel like they killed that dog in Halloween. It was a guy in a dog suit. That poor German Shepherd. It was not a guy in a dog suit. (laughs) Speaking of German Shepherds, that's what they were going to use for this movie, was German Shepherds. The film originally was going to use German Shepherds as the dogs featured in the film due to a six-month quarantine process for dogs coming into Europe. The crew was forced to look for trained dogs locally, leading them to a place that primarily had Rottweilers. So that's why we see mostly, or only really, just Rottweilers in the movie. I think it's a good choice. I think there's something uh, with the way they did this movie. It's scarier seeing the Rottweilers than if it was a German Shepherd. Well, Rottweilers are one of the most intimidating looking yeah. dogs out there. <laughs> so, uh, I I don't see them as intimidating. I see them as adorable. But... What would you name your Rottweiler? Oh. Tank? Tank? No, I'm Hank. not. I'm, I'm not. Zeus? No. Kratos? No. You, you you make me sound like I'm some like forty five year old Southern dude with a with a smoker's voice and uh, I only wear wash beaters. <laughs> Come on, Tank. No, I'm good. I probably name him Hugo. Hugo. Or maybe Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. What a popsicle. Not that. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Speaking of those Rottweilers, I imagine they have a stronger bite strength than German Shepherds, would you say? Probably. Probably? Because apparently the protection that they had for biting the stunt doubles on the movie sets weren't good enough. Yeah. <laughs> Which led to an injury. David Warner's stunt double, he was injured during one of the attack scenes, one of the dog attack scenes, due to one of the dogs actually biting through the protection. He required 14 stitches after being sent directly to the hospital. So somebody did get hurt in this movie. Yeah. But it was a stunt double, and that's kind of their job. Yeah. To get hurt. Well, stunt double, if I'm a stunt double, I'd be like, I'd still be pissed I got bit by a dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That shit sucks. But the funny thing about that scene, though, was behind the scenes, while they were making that scene, and they had all those Rottweilers in the graveyard scene, they couldn't keep the dogs from fucking. (laughs) And the dogs just kept fucking. The whole time they had to edit around it. Well, why do they have male and female dogs? They should have just got all male dogs or something. I don't know. Maybe they did get all male dogs and they still couldn't keep them from fucking. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they do that. They assert dominance. And Rottweilers are particularly bad about, you know, asserting their alpha male dominance in this. Yeah, but not all the Rottweilers were bad, though. A lot of them were, like, too nice. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that was another problem was uh, they just couldn't get them to bite sometimes. No, yeah. especially the dogs that was around with... Uh, they, they did the indoor scenes with yeah. Damien. Yeah. That dog just wanted to just love on everybody. He just wanted to cuddle. Like me. Like they... <laughs> the, mu- <laughs> the, mu- <laughs> the music makes that Rottweiler seem terrifying when he's looking for people, but... Really? He's looking for someone to pet him? Yeah. 
Pretty much. But yeah, the dogs in the graveyard scene, they couldn't keep them from fucking, and they had to edit around it so you didn't see dogs fucking in the background while, like, David Warner's dunce doubles, dunce double, dunce wow, double. stunt double is getting bit. <laughs> like, you would that see, been, that all, been, up on top of the hill, you just see two dogs going at it. That would have been hilarious if they would have just forgotten that messed up. <laughs> and there's been a scene of just how awesome. <clears throat> Uh, uh, according to Richard Donner, a lot of the scenes in there where you just see the dogs heavy breathing, that's because they just got done doing that. Not because they were done attacking somebody. I mean, if you look hard enough, you still might see something like that. Probably. I mean, in if Teen you want to go looking for that, I don't. I mean, in Teen Wolf, at the end, in the scene of Teen Wolf, the guy with his <laughs> that, dick out, yeah, that, that they for did they forgot to edit out. Uh, which I saw that cut on TV. You did? Yes. And they still didn't. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> just whipped out yeah and I didn't even know about that which I think yeah it was probably Family Guy who told me this was it I think it was an episode of Family Guy they were like oh yeah they're like go back Team Wolf look at the end scene yeah guy in the crowd totally has his dick out going into all this technical stuff about the movie and it's it's stunts with the baboons and the falling and the dog bites and all that I think the best one out of all of them and I warned Justin about this before we watched it the best decapitation in cinema history very very well done I every time I see this and it's getting to that point of this movie where David Warner is about to get his head lobbed off I get giddy I love this scene. And the first time I ever watched The Omen years ago, when I watched it, I was like, oh my God! And then I like replayed it like five times. <laughs> <laughs> the best decapitation beheading in movie history, the scene where David Warner's character bends over to pick up the knives that were flung by Gregory Peck while somebody's parking brake doesn't get set right and their truck backs down a hill carrying sheets of glass and decapitates him. That scene was originally going to be done differently where they were going to drop it vertically from above by a crane, like an, a crane was going to malfunction and drop a sheet of glass on to his neck to cut his head off. But what uh, wound up happening with that was they couldn't get the plate of glass to fly straight. It kept trying to like wobble down like when you drop a piece of paper and it just kind of goes back and forth down. It, it wanted to do that, but you know, much heavier, so not as much back and forth, but it would wobble. Yeah. And they couldn't get it to go right. And so they tried it a different way and we got the shot that we got. One shot. <laughs> and, and it was done spectacularly. Well, it was actually two shots. The original shot, the glass didn't break. Oh. So they shot it again, but when they shot it again, Donner was like, get more cameras out here. <laughs> <laughs> and they shot it at like six different fucking angles and they used every angle in the shot in the final product because when that head rolled on that glass, he knew he had the best beheading in cinema history. Done so well that the actor didn't want to see it. Oh, well, yeah, he was freaked out. David Warner was freaked out over having, seeing a, a, a decapitated head of himself, period. He didn't want to look at it after the movies and he didn't want to go anywhere near the, his fake head <laughs> couldn't say I blame him yeah he was he was a bit freaked out about that when he was asked what happened to that fake head he said that his wife got it in the divorce <laughs> which I'm sure she is treating it like it's Andy like Andy does Chucky's head <laughs> let's say she probably has it up like a trophy like you want to know what happened to my ex last husband it looks like it's just us tonight <laughs> 
Fire makes him scream the loudest. <laughs> I gotta say, out of all these movies, I think the special effects and the stunts I love the most out of all the three movies we talked about here is The Omen. I think... I think the person who did the best stunt was the person who uh, jumped off and got hung. Oh, yeah. It's all for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way uh, the body hits the window after the end of it and that just, like, that taunt jut at the end when she when the rope extends as far as it will and then hitting the window mwah, perfect which by the way made me say holy shit the first time i saw it yeah i don't know if that was actually a stunt double <laughs> well no it was, a, it was a dummy but well somebody jumped that is true but then they switched the footage for a dummy hanging but it looked really real actually they they might it might have been just somebody with a uh bungee cord no like a, a, a fake hanging vest on under their clothes oh yeah if they had those back then but I'm not sure they could have all these stunts and effects are just fantastic in the omen and I think I have to give it its total props for that but what also is fantastic in the omen and i mentioned it earlier this movie won an oscar for its score jerry goldsmith had the idea of using ominous evil versions of gregorian chants and choirs for the music because of the themes of the movie he wanted to sound like evil church music which inspired me to do the same thing when asking goriori for music for fear in the faith i wanted kind of the same vibe and that's what you've been hearing is because of the omen the way the omen soundtrack is is fantastic it makes the movie absolutely he spoke with the choir master who was fluent in latin and asked him how it would sound if they twisted latin phrases from catholicism to be about satan instead giving us the title of the movie's theme avi satani which means praise satan and because of all this he would win his first academy award for the film score and he deserved the award he was very creative with this music, like in the scene where the dog is hunting Gregory Peck, and he uses the breathing of the dog as tempo for that scene's music. Originally, it was going to be the, the, the main Avi Satani theme there, but Richard Donner said it's too much for that scene. It's too loud and bombastic, so he comes up with this thing that uses the dog's breathing in the music, and mm, it sounds so fucking good. It's very creepy. So... Definitely props to Goldsmith. Fantastic score to this film. The film's ending is notorious. Well, it's not notorious. It's very well talked about. Originally, the film was going to have it set where, like, everybody dies. The mother, the father, and the son. And they were all going to die. Of course, the, the main actor, the, the great Gregory Peck, he... Um, he didn't want to kill a kid. He didn't want to kill uh, a kid in the movie and it's mostly probably because he had actually lost his son in real life just a year before working on the omen so he didn't want to shoot the climactic scene where he kills the son so he wanted to leave it more open-ended ambiguous which would later be beneficial when the studio comes down and says hey did y'all think about leaving damien alive so we could do a sequel but uh, in that final shot it does something very bold for movies at the time and breaks the fourth wall that scene where damien's looking at you and he gives you that smile that smile comes from richard donner telling harvey stevens while he's looking into the camera he's like all right harvey now don't you dare laugh don't you dare laugh now and he starts like breaking a smile <laughs> but in the movie it plays out so well i remember when i first saw this film damien smiling at the end actually creeped me the fuck out well done 
Very well done. He was a great kid actor. And and overall, a fantastic film. I adore this film. Kind of hitting through rough times now, though. Is he? Yeah, he got arrested not too long ago. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Road rage. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> of course he's going to road rage. He's the Antichrist. Don't get in his way. <laughs> but my little trivia is done here. We're going to get into talking about the film proper and our opinions on the film. I mean, the movie starts off with a bang. With a baby death. Yes. We're at a hospital in Rome. And the beginning of the movie, Gregory Peck, who plays Robert Thorne, him and his wife, Catherine Thorne, having a baby, but baby's dead. Miscarriage. Yeah, but we'll find, find out, out later. We'll find out later that's not true. The baby was murdered. They miscarried, and the priest in the hospital is convincing Robert that they have another baby that was just born at the same time. Its mother died during childbirth and that they should take it he tells them on this day god has blessed you with a son which we know <laughs> no. the, the opposite is true <laughs> blessed him with damien and he is the devil so they take a devil child in their care and raise him as a baby he doesn't tell his wife well very well use of the music leading up to all happy music yeah seems like everything's nice and good the kids all sweet and happy and innocent yeah, and they, they seem like a very happy family in the in the early stages of the film. And the relationship between Robert and Catherine seems very healthy. They're, they're a great husband and wife together. Great couple. And you can tell they love each other dearly throughout this movie. The driving force of Robert Thorne is how much he loves his wife. So much that he would keep this secret. And he did it out of love, you know. I mean, who wants to say, hey... Your baby died. Your baby died. Yeah. It came from a good place, but later we would see the negative effects of him keeping that secret. And I, and I don't just mean, you know, like Damien being the devil, but uh, it, it mentally has an effect on Catherine when she starts having doubts about herself as a mother because she's feeling an, uh, a divide between her and her own son. I think that was more she was sensing that there was something wrong with him. Yeah, but because she doesn't know the whole story, she feels like a bad mother. So that's the negative effect of the secret that he was holding from her, despite it being done out of love. But yeah, they, they seem like a really good couple when they move into this house when he's the ambassador of the UK, uh, US Embassy. And they're talking about, oh, he's going to be the next president of the United States because he was roommates with the president in college and all that. <laughs> they're about to go have some uh, alone time and and they're being playful about it and she, uh he was like you want to go upstairs and she's like there's no furniture up there either <laughs> so they just close the blinds where they're at <laughs> him being the u.s ambassador of uk real big story point later that you'll find out yeah yeah the, the that's the reason he was chosen to be the father of the antichrist he had to be born out of the eternal sea which they say is the world of politics that's what it's uh, actually talking about so his position was important to the decision to have him raise damien from the devil 
I guess, or some cult that's making all of it happen with the priest and the nanny, who knows. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, we get to the birthday party. We see some like weird tension between the mother and the nanny when the nanny's like posing for pictures with Damien and stuff like that. And the mother goes over here and she's like, I'll, I'll take him. And the nanny's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. And then she gives her this like eat shit and die look. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of course, the famous hanging scene. Well, before that, she looks at the Wattweiler. Yeah, the, the dog. Then uh, they play the music. Yeah. The dog uh, has this... The dog is symbolism for evil or something. It's a hellhound. Well, yeah, it's a hellhound, but it's like, film-wise, it's used as like a symbolism for evil yep. and influence from the devil. And so they, we get a lot of zoom in, and you'll see it a lot... In this film, the the eyes, a lot of eye zoom ins, and love that camera work. Too. Yeah, and it's and of course dogs named backwards God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> mommy, mommy, did you know dog spelled backwards is God? That's right, dear. You're such a clever little girl. Kill your parents, Tracy. <gasps> I will, God. But um, I think the, the, the eyes, the eye shots are like you're supposed to feel something without it being said between two characters. That's usually what eye shots for. But in this, it's really sinister, like influence going like the dog is like shooting wavelengths of like thought into their head or something like kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the one of my favorite scenes in the movie, I'm doing all this for you, Damien. scene so early on besides you know off-screen baby deaths we already have our first death pretty quick pretty quick like first maybe 15 minutes of the movie yeah and we get fed deaths throughout this movie pretty regularly good intervals yeah about every 30 minutes or so yeah of course the most i think the most tragic death of them all being his wife yeah <laughs> uh when she fell from a balcony and that wasn't far enough so then later the nanny makes sure she falls out of a hospital window it had to be falling because if i think that's like part of the story is like people have to die a certain way because of the pictures uh -huh. there was never a picture of showing how she dies she almost died because of falling and then the falling continued to make sure that she died which i think was a theme by the way actress who played miss baylock Billy Whitelaw, mm -hmm. hell of a good job. She uh, looks sinister yeah. as hell in this movie. Yeah, she was a, already a well-renowned actress uh, coming into this movie, and she did a fantastic job. And apparently when she came into audition, they said, I can't picture anybody else doing this. Has to be her. She plays that role so well. Oh, she did a great job. I'm but, here to protect thee. But with her comes the first problem I have in this movie. What's that? How do they not question how she was hired? They did. Yeah, but they didn't go into more, like, they didn't try to, like, go into more detail about it. Like, so oh. She convinced them. They kind of had that moment of, uh, well, if I didn't hire her and you didn't hire her, 
then who did? And then they go and find her in the hallway, and they're like, uh, we got a question. How did you get here? And she's like, oh, well, the agency sent me. They saw that, well, what happened with your past nanny, and they sent you another. And then she was like, I would like to check that, if, or I'd like to confirm that, if you don't mind. And she goes, of course, here's my credentials. Okay, but almost immediately she oversteps her boundaries. Yes. Immediately. That should have been a huge red flag as soon as she was like... Dude, if that nanny spoke to me the way she did, she'd be out of the house immediately. <laughs> Already telling her the parents, oh no, you shouldn't take him to church. Literally just a few minutes after they just had that discussion. I just brought this Rottweiler into the house. Your son loves him. You should keep him. <laughs> Don't let him go to church. It's not good for him. He shouldn't go to church. Don't you think he's too young to understand all of that? Like, okay, bye. I would have already told her bye. Yeah. Right off the bat. So that's one of the few problems I have with this movie. She's pretty obsessive right away. She, You can tell she's like anxiously awaiting seeing the Antichrist. She's like, may I see your boy now? Please. <laughs> and right off the bat, when she sees him, she said, "Don't be frightened, child." Yeah, and she, I am here and she to told protect her. The... She told her mom, "She's I'd like to, I'd like to meet him alone, please." Red flag. That was the first like overstepping on the first day, within the first hour of her job. <laughs> yeah, like I said, she would have already been gone. Yeah, that would have creeped me out. It's like hell no, you're not going in there with my kid alone after saying that that's creepy with a Rottweiler the, the Rottweiler wasn't in the picture yet oh yeah this was like her first day yeah though the Rottweiler whoo it's enough to scare Gregory Peck which I, I think Gregory Peck if I remember correctly he said himself he was actually intimidated by the dog it was just he was intimidated by just Rottweilers in general well I think it was just that that um, just that one particular dog yeah <laughs> very very mean looking Apparently it's a sweetheart, though. So, so uh, what do you think about the flow of the movie in total? I know we talked about the flow of the kills, but the, the how does the movie flow to you? flowed perfectly to me. It didn't drag on too much. Flawless. It was flawless. Yes. I would say the graveyard scene is a bit of a... I don't know, it feels different than the rest of the movie. Yeah, a little bit. But then it gets back on track to like how the rest of the movie's been going. Other than that, uh, yeah, I'd say the movie flows really well. But the graveyard scene is also important. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, no, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it, it just felt different, the feel of the rest of the movie. It's probably because it was most definitely on, like, a lot. <laughs> it was on a, a set. <laughs> you it, could tell. It's very obvious it was in a set. Yeah, all these other scenes, uh, they were definitely, like, filmed on location somewhere and and this one was in a set. It looks like we're like in a Edgar Allan Poe's uh, Roger Corman film with Vincent Price all of a sudden in the 60s. <laughs> Still, great scene. Terrible, terrible meaning behind it with the whole, they actually murdered his son instead of the miscarriage being a thing. It's terrible. But that's when they find out also that uh, Damien was born from a jackal, a picture you can't get out of your head. Some stains just don't come out. <laughs> What'd you think of the uh, how the actor did playing the priest? Which priest? Who originally gave the child to the parents? Oh. It was all. It was also warning them, and they were not wanting to listen. Was literally that's like, two different priests. 
It was? Yes. Well, yeah, that makes sense, because why would the damn priest who's warning them been the one that originally gave them the baby? The priest that gave them the baby is the one that they went and sought out in Rome, and he has had the fucked up face, and he couldn't talk, and uh, he had to write. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That was yeah, him. Yeah. They went to Rome, which they filmed in Rome for that scene. They found the priest that gave them the baby, and he directed them to the graveyard. Yeah. It was Father Brennan. That was the one that got impaled. Yes, yeah. which we didn't bring that up with the special effects and the trivia portion, but uh, the impalement scene was really good, too. Kind of was asking for it. He just kind of just stood there and just watched it fall. Frozen in fear, you know? Yeah, true. Um, but I liked how it was. He was terrified trying to get back into the church because he knew. The way they did that cost him like seven bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah, they uh, they just had that pole on a fishing line that was tied from the top. Oh, the camera angle. That yeah. was really, really good. Yeah. They had a they had a fishing line tied from the top of the church down to the ground, going down at a slant. And they had the pole just go down that fishing line. And uh, then they have the camera set up in front of the priest and it the pole falls behind him, but because of where the camera's set, it looks like it goes through him. But it just falls right behind him and then he just kind of slumps forward like he just died but standing because the pole is keeping him in place for it only costing seven dollars real cost effective oh yeah really good job the writer of the film said that uh nowadays that would be done with like thousands of dollars worth of cgi but uh for us seven dollars some fish and string <laughs> i'd rather them do that yep honestly <laughs> very effective when you have to actually be creative that's the one thing I have a problem with with movies nowadays is that they rely too much on CGI. Too much. And David Warner. Hell of a good actor. He did a really good job in this movie. I think he was my favorite role in the film. And I'm a fan of him from, from Tron playing Sark, who was a second in command to the Master Control Program. I know him as Mr. Professor for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. That too. The creator of the ooze. And he was also the bodyguard for the rich guy in Titanic. And he was the professor in Scream 2 for the play. Yes, he was. Yeah. He does really good here. He chews the scenes a lot in this one, uh, and he works really great with Gregory Peck. Yeah, I like how he was already, even before the father was knowing something was going on, He are, it's like he already knew. He was the first that was like on this, but other than the, the priest, but he was like taking the pictures and seeing how people are going to die. Yeah, I liked how he was in the photography room getting the pictures developed. Yeah. And then seeing, oh shit. And then he sees himself. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, this is very much my problem too. <laughs> yeah, line just right through his neck. <laughs> Giving us the, again, best decapitation in cinema history. It's fucking great. He was my favorite character in the movie. Also, Father Brennan. Father Brennan, yeah. He tried very hard to convince the father to just to even talk to him. The dad didn't even want to talk to him, period. Yeah, he, in, uh, well, I mean, okay. In Robert's defense, Father Brennan did come to him being vague as fuck at first and making a situation where it sounds like he was blackmailing him. I mean, put yourself in Robert's shoes. This crazy preacher comes into your office while you're at work and being like, I've seen the baby's mother. I know who the baby's mother was. What, yeah, what are you going to think? I mean, yeah, from the father's point of view, I can understand why he didn't want to talk to that fucker. Yeah, he seemed crazy as fuck. Yes. Yes, father. We haven't much time. You must listen to what I have to say. 
All right. What is it? You must accept Christ as your savior. You must accept him now. Forgive me, Father, but didn't I understand that you have a matter of some uh, urgent personal business? You must take communion, drink the blood of Christ and eat his flesh. For only if he is within you can you defeat the son of the devil. I see. He's killed once. He'll kill again. He'll kill until everything that's yours is his. Father, would you only mind Only through waiting? Christ can you fight him. Accept the Lord Jesus. Drink his blood. I've locked the door, Mr. Thorne. Yes? Would you send for a security guard, please? I beg you, Mr. Thorne, listen to what I have to say. Ambassador Thorne? I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I witnessed the birth. Sir? I beg you. All right. Stand by. What do you want? To save you, Mr. Thorne, so Christ will forgive me. What do you know about my son? Everything. And what, what is that? I saw its mother. Saw my wife. I saw its mother. You're referring to my wife. Its mother, Mr. Thorne. This is blackmail, and come out and say it. What is it that you're trying to say? His mother was a. Everything all right, sir? You sounded strange. The door was locked. I want this gentleman escorted out of here. Okay, let's go. The whole situation is crazy. I mean, you get told that, then all of a sudden you, you come to the realization, oh, I've got to kill this kid. Well, he didn't suddenly come to that realization. Well, I know. It, was, it took him, like, the whole movie to just finally accept that. Coming from me, from a father, I couldn't imagine the pain it would be to where you have to kill your own... I mean, yeah, it wasn't really his child, but it was a child you took care of all the way from its birth till then. I think that's your child. Yes, it's pretty <laughs> much your child. It's I don't like think it's even pretty much. I think that's yes. just your child. It's like you gotta kill your child or the earth is doomed. Well, it's a tough job, but somebody's gotta kill these kids. <laughs> like I said, putting in his shoes, being a father myself, I just couldn't imagine the pain that he must have been going through. Especially since Gregory Peck actually lost his son a year before this. That had been really, really hard for him to do. Yeah. So, uh, props to him. His agent, like, pushed for him to get this role because his agent was like worried about him well and i'll be honest me as a father i was as i was watching the final scene i fucking started crying like a bitch daddy please no yeah i just <laughs> i was like no yeah like i i was not really comfortable i didn't really want to see that or hear that look the sound of him saying daddy please don't or daddy please stop him that guts anyone like yeah. parent or not you hear that and you're like oh Dude, no. <laughs> you're really sitting there watching this. He really about to stab this kid. Movie or not, that's not something you really want to see. <laughs> well, at least he isn't Father Karras. Just starts beating the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> that's different, though. Is it? I mean, no, but I don't feel the same way, though. No. Because it's not the child. You, you can see it's the the demon is Pazuzu 
It's the Antichrist. I know, but it's Pazuzu's daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we already said in in Exodus one, it's just Satan. But but still, like that's the devil. To man. me, it's just different. I guess. I don't. It doesn't I, affect you, me if, the same if way. If you feel more comfortable killing a twelve year old girl than a than a toddler boy, you know, I to me it's, it's tomato tomato, but to you it's apples and oranges. <laughs> I I don't know why it just does it. This hit me hard. Oh, I understand. I'm just fucking with you. Okay. <laughs> like I was looking away, I freaking covered my damn face with the damn pillow because I was like, no. Justin, look, I mean, we. Well, not we, as in the audience, but I already know. You just have a hard time with hearing kids in movies, regardless. Yeah, I know. Like, I don't like hearing babies crying. I don't like... Don't know why. Just don't. If I ever have you locked up in a saw room and I need to torture you, I'm just going to play baby crying. Fuck you. <laughs> I want to play a game. You're going to listen to this and you're not going to cry. You've got 60 minutes. Let the games begin. <laughs> Please, no. It's fucked up. The scene with Father Brennan leading up to his death, I loved the cinematography, the camera work, and all of that, and the the wind, A and plus. the storm, and the music, and the leaves. It's all really good. This, uh, this, I don't know. Compared to the other two movies, uh, there's something about the Omen that has like this touch of quality to it that I, it's, mwah, you know, yeah, like kind of some elegance to it. Also. Yeah. It's, uh, Sophistication. Sophistication. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say uh, craftsmanship quality oh, yes. to it is top notch. Oh yeah, not another cheesy back in the eighties, seventies horror film. Seventies, yeah. Holds up still today. Oh, absolutely. Out of I think out of all of them, this one is the one that holds up the most. More than the Exorcist. Yeah, I would say more than the Exorcist. Well, the Exorcist. Okay, so. With the Exorcist, it's kind of like a you gotta really believe in the devil to be scared of this one. But in the Omen, it's like I am scared of parking brakes not working properly. Yeah, I am scared of getting pushed out of a thirteenth floor of a hospital window. I'm scared of glass. I, I am scared of falling off a balcony. I sheets of glass. Yeah, <laughs> I'm scared of dogs biting me. <laughs> That is true. As, as a kid, I had fear of that. Yeah. So, I think because of that, the omen, I would say, is scarier than the exorcist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. OBS. People are going to burn you at the stake. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it. the omen is scarier than the exorcist. From, from the standpoint of the kills could really just fucking happen in real life. Not because of the devil, but just they could happen. And two, as a parent... This is fucking terrifying, having to kill your own kid. And I would think, as a parent, you're, you are you would be more scared of the idea of having to kill your kid than the idea of your kid trying to kill you, right? Yes, exactly. Being put in the situation of having to kill your kid is scarier than being put in the situation where you have to defend yourself from a your kid killing you. Yes, exactly. Yes. The Omen is scarier than The Exorcist. What do you think? Would you say The Omen is scarier than The Exorcist? When you put it that way, yes. Okay. Cool. I thought we were about to fight. <laughs> what I was going to also say is that that's a way you were saying about how people can die in real life. That's in the movie. That's another reason why I like the Final Destination movies also. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's I, going into this movie. I figured you were gonna really like the kills in this movie because of Final Destination. Though I will admit later in Final Destination, the way they go about the kills is just way okay. Yeah, real life, it could happen in real life, but what the hell, man? What was your favorite kill in this movie? Oh, the beheading. Obviously, the beheading. Like, <laughs> no, that that it's such a. I'm not gonna gush about it anymore. I, I don't want to repeat myself too much on this. The but yeah, the beheading. You. Same. Okay. <laughs> See? That, that is the kill in this well, movie. Well, just to show for our variety, when Father Brennan got impaled the, the by The impaling the, is, yeah. That that seemed brutal as fuck. Close second. I think the most emotional one, of course, is Catherine's death. That's fucked up. Be, especially the shot after. Yes. With Gregory Peck just wallowing in bed. And then he repeats that poem. Ooh. Yes. He's lost his wife and now he's about to have to kill his son. Fucking gut-wrenching. This movie's so good. It's depressing. It's It makes me feel things, and I like that. Feel it in your pants. I feel it in my gut, Justin. <laughs> Alright, so... Give me give me a scale from 1 to 10. How creepy is Damien to you in this movie? I'd give him... Well, compared to the remake, they tried too hard to make Damien creepy as hell. And it Just, came off lame. And it came off terrible. <laughs> yeah. This one, it's believable. It comes off as a sweet, innocent kid. But then when he's just looking at the dogs... Or during his freakouts. Or during his freakouts. I'd give it a solid 8 on the creepy solid scale. Solid 8? I think, I think I would agree with that. About an 8. Eight on the creepy scale, especially with the smile at the end, like you were talking about. The, the dude, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. And, uh, oh my god, in the end, he's with the President of the United States. He's getting ad- adopted by the President of the United States. Oh, uh, the devil. I'll be damned. You are up for election after me. Orange is the new hell. <laughs> Orange is the new hell. <laughs> oh, Lord. Mission accomplished. Mission a fucking accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, which is what he was wanting to happen, anyways. Yeah, and uh, I'll be honest, I haven't seen any of the sequels to The Omen. I know Sam Neill is in the third or fourth one. He's the third one. Yeah, we'll probably talk about those eventually. Wrapping up on The Omen. This is the unholy trinity, the trifecta of the devil, the cursed movies, complete. Justin. Having seen the Unholy Trinity, what is your rating of these three movies in order? Best to worst? Put me right on the spot. I had to say, just based on the importance and stuff. No, just your opinion. Oh, just my personal opinion? Just your opinion. Personal opinion, Exorcist 1, 2, The Omen 3, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, okay. Cool. What what would you rate it? I don't want to get burnt at the stake. Why? Because I'm putting The Exorcist at the bottom. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, it's your own personal opinion. Yeah. One, Rosemary's Baby. Two, The Omen. Three, The Exorcist. Okay. Doesn't mean that Exorcist was a bad movie. It's just absolutely a, not. Out of the three, Ev- Exorcist is a fantastic movie. You, you, we gushed about like it in said, the last like episode. Like you said, you think the Exorcist, Exorcist was the worst one out of them? I think Rosemary's Baby is the worst out of all of them. It's just everybody's a top. We both opinion. agree that The Omen's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think all three of these movies are fantastic. Yes, I agree. Justin had to watch Rosemary's Baby three times. (laughs) Yes, I did. But that's it. The movies are done, and we're done with fear and the faith. Woo! Except we're not. 
Join us next time on Fear of the Faith where we're not reviewing a movie. First video game review. Of Radio Fear Macabre. Here in Fear of the Faith, we're going to be reviewing Airdorf's Faith, Chapter 1. It's going to be a pixelated exorcism devil game. Atari style. Atari style. So I hope you guys are looking forward to that. Till then, this is Justin. Yo. I'm Brandon. And we are still stuck in here. (laughs) What the fuck? I got the ball. What the fuck were you two doing in here? Thinking of a way. Oof. We weren't doing anything, just reminiscing of old times. Whatever it is you youngsters think we do in our 30s. Yeah, that. I am older than the two of you can comprehend or even fathom with your puny little human brains. Anyway, I found some really cool shit in the basement. Oh shit, like what? Atari 2600. Ah, yeah, makes sense. Oh yeah, back in the late 70s, early 80s, people thought this really was a doorway to hell. So, uh, yeah, makes sense that that's here. Play it for me. Play it for you? Yes, I want to see what's on it. You're the kid. Shouldn't you be the one that wants to play video games? I don't think that they make Fortnite for this. So shut the fuck up and play it. Alright, let's boot it up and... Woo! <laughs>